Welcome to this episode of our new AWS podcast series, Innovation Ambassadors. I'm Sarah Armstrong, and as Senior Manager for Worldwide Prototyping at AWS, I'll act as your ambassador to some of the most interesting engagements with our AWS prototyping teams. On this episode of Innovation Ambassadors, we're taking a behind-the-scenes look at how TPG Group, Australia's leading challenger full-service telecommunications provider, as they work with our digital innovation and prototyping teams on their journey from ideation to prototype to bringing new services to market for their customers. We'll learn how we shared Amazon's working backwards approach to innovation and experimentation to explore new offerings for TPG Telecom's home customers. I'm excited to welcome from TPG Group, Amin Javid, Head of Innovation and Strategic Initiatives at TPG Telecom Australia. Thanks for being with us, Amin. Hi, Sora. Thanks for having me. And from AWS, we have Richard Taylor, Head of Digital Innovation for our Asia-Pacific business. Thanks for being here, Richard. Hey, Sarah. Great to be here. Hi, Amin. And Ryan Cross, our Engagement Manager from our prototyping team in Australia. Always great to chat with you, Ryan. Oh, definitely. Thanks, Sarah. So, I mean, can you share with our international listeners a little bit about TPG? Uh, yep, absolutely. So, um, TPG Telecom, our TPG group, came into being with the merger of Vodafone Hutchison Australia and TPG. And we currently own and operate brands such as Vodafone, TPG, Libara, IANet, uh, and a few other brands. Predominantly serving about 23 million Australians with their mobile network uh, and about 2.2 million broadband customers as well. And what were you trying to accomplish when you set out to work with our digital innovation and prototyping teams? So TPG does have an existing working relationship with AWS. Uh, there are multiple projects that we've been working on for quite a while. Um, and this particular project, it came up uh, as a challenge in one of the discussions between AWS uh, and our CIO, Rob James. And what, what the challenge was to say, Predominantly, so voice and data is something that we're doing really well. We're doing it for a while, but we need to move away from it and see as that becomes a commodity, how do we add additional value for our customers? How do we take the complexity out of the technology and use technology to improve the lives of customers, potential customers and new customers inside the home? How do we enable families with technology? Um, and that challenge was then set to, to start off with Richard's team and our team to work together and come up with a great idea. So Richard, take us through what that innovation process looks like. How do you approach this ideation stage of a project? Yeah, thanks, Sarah. So um, when we start working with customers, we initially talk about some of the things that Amazon has done uh, in the last number of years that have worked well for us and that we've seen benefit other organizations and enterprises as well. And one of those is around how we think about building new products, services, experiences, or even businesses like AWS through a mechanism called working backwards, which is the key process uh, that we use to uh, think 
think big and ideate on behalf of our, our customers for everything that we may have done in uh, in the last 26 years or so as an organization. So when we started working with Amin and the team uh, at TPG, we um, started off on this journey to work backwards from TPG's customers and identified a whole host of customers um, with challenges, pains and opportunities across the group and landed on a set of individuals uh, in the home and how we might be able to improve or, or deliver a better opportunity or experience for those specific customers. And the working backwards mechanism starts with that specific customer, um, starts to identify that persona, and then goes through a process to be able to think big, to unconstrain ourselves from current solution or current ideas and articulate it in a, an Amazonian business case, which is known as the press release, the frequently asked questions, and the visuals. So this is a, typically a couple of day thing that we do in person uh, with, with teams from customers we work with. But obviously, given constraints uh, in the world at the moment, this turned into uh, a couple of sessions over a week or two to be able to, uh, to help uh, or try and help I mean, in the team think big about solving these, these problems for customers. So, I mean, was that process something that you were really interested in getting into, that working backwards process and determining who that customer is and working backwards from their needs? One, one of the key objectives of going through this process was, uh, obviously, there was the whole solving customer problem. Um, but as a mature organization and telcos, although we've been pretty good at innovating in the past, perhaps as we move into a mature business, that is part of our culture or DNA we might be losing. So the idea was to see how companies like Amazon um, and AWS innovate and how they've been able to do it so well and take some key learnings through this process and then try to integrate that into our own culture as well. Um, and working backwards approach that Amazon takes, it was really great. It allows us to really focus on the customer, what the customer requirements are, what problem are we trying to solve, rather than coming from at an angle of technology that this is this technology, then how do we monetize it? It's a different approach which focused on the customer, which I thought was really great. So take us through those steps, Richard. You mentioned the press release. This is an aspirational press release, right? That we that we write up as if we have built the the product or service that we're thinking about doing. How would we speak to it? How would we talk to our end customers in that aspirational way. Take us through a little bit of that process and how you hone in on those pain points like you talked about and, and really answer those questions. Yeah, and this, this was a great opportunity with TPG as well because Amin and Rob and the team came to us with a challenge to say, you know, we don't want to think BAU, we definitely want to think big and it's got to be uh, actionable within the next 18 months, but it, it can't be sort of a normal process or iteration or improvement of something that's already in place. So it was an opportunity we relished to be able to, to go through this, this process. And, and initially we, we start off by identifying the customers I mentioned, and customers can be far and wide, and, and TPG have a huge number of customers that all look and feel different and have certain needs and, and challenges in whatever they may be trying to achieve. But we landed on this individual in the home, and, and the process starts off by really getting into the shoes of that individual and building empathy with that individual. And the team that Amini created had different insight to that customer, but also we managed to get data and inputs from within the organization that uh, reinforced the needs of that customer. 
And then when we've identified maybe where they have uh, opportunities or challenges in their current day-to-day -day activities, we start to move into ideation and we put aside solutions that may have been there in the past and we try in Amazon language to think big and to think big on behalf of that customer to deliver one key benefit that we can try and uh, bring to life in the form of the press release. So the press release is just a one-page document. It leaps into the future, imagining that we've actually built the idea that we have to deliver uh, on behalf of our customers. And um, it doesn't take into account any of the how and the complexity of like implementation or regulation or considerations. It puts all that to one side. At the beginning, we're purely thinking about the main benefit for our customer because we believe if we can identify a benefit that's big enough and strong enough for the customer, ultimately it will become good business for us in the long term as well. So that's where we started and we spent most of our time on that customer, uh, building empathy with the customer, understanding what their needs may be, and then working backwards to articulate that in a, in a, peer, in, in a press release. I'd just, just like to add to that, Sarah, the, the benefit of having the frequently asked questions and the fact that it doesn't only answer some of the key questions that we'd expect a customer to ask to help us understand what we're trying to solve, but some of the key questions that would be asked of an organization of the key stakeholders of what it means for the business, how it integrates into the business, is it the right fit for the organization? And having visibility of all that at a very early stage, I think was very critical and useful. So that tool gives you the foundation then to make that decision about how to figure out the how, right? To maybe work with Ryan and his team on prototyping potential solution for that aspirational press release of the product that you're thinking big about. Yeah, it allows, it allowed us to isolate what are some of the key assumptions that we needed to test in the next phase to give us the level of comfort to say we're happy to go and invest more money and resources into it now. Yeah, the, the, the FAQs, just to add to that, Sarah, give, give a great opportunity for me and the team and us working with them to ask the really tough questions. Um, the ones that sometimes if you think you have an idea and a solution, you might just brush to one side and wait until you, you start kind of building something out in more detail. The FAQs really make you ask the question and also answer it. And uh, those two halves that Amin mentioned, obviously the team went off to speak to customers, um, to get input, to start to add more questions from a customer perspective. What would they care about? Brands, products, services, etc. And we can start to build those into the FAQs that, that articulate the how, as you mentioned, but also your internal stakeholders. One big component of that is why this solution? What else did we discount? And if we're going to move forward with this, what are the first steps? What does experimentation look like? What is the first thing you need to do? Um, and how do we start proving out our hypothesis? So take us from there, Ryan. Uh, we've got a hypothesis now defined. We've got some user and customer data. We've got insights from speaking with customers about what their needs are and what their pain points are. Take us from that high-level press release to what we actually built in the, in the prototype with the means team. Thanks, Sarah. And that's, that's kind of exactly how I tend to frame it. You've got this big idea. We think about that as sitting at like the 10,000-foot view. And that may be giving us a vision out into three, five, or farther into the future. And then we try to break that down further into like what's what's the 1000 foot view that you know you might actually think about as the minimum viable product what you might actually go to market with as your first iteration and then 
once you have a view on that, we go even farther down into kind of like the 100-foot view of what can we actually prototype? And specifically, what are the important assumptions and areas of uncertainty that we need to validate in that prototype to provide data and, and more confidence that this is viable and has something to continue to move forward with? Working with Amon and his team, we identified a number of key assumptions or key risks that really, if, they, if we couldn't overcome the majority of those risks, we weren't going to really be able to demonstrate enough confidence for them to go forward. And then from there, we really tried to hone in on some of the technical aspects of how to prove those elements. And we spent a lot of time, me and Amon, back and forth trying to narrow this down and it was it was a lot of back and forth, but really, really important discussion for us to have. Was that iterative approach something that you're used to doing and in, in as you're building out your technology solutions, or was that a new approach for you? As a typologist myself with an engineering background, it's easy to get lost in the solution mode. And you often start off with this is what I'm looking for, this is what it's going to look like, and this is exactly what I want. But understanding that is not always going to be possible, especially with an approach where you're not trying to necessarily come up with the final product, where you're trying to test some key assumptions. And if they pass it very quickly, then move on to the next step. Going through that iteration process with Ryan in trying to really hone down, moving away from that big idea to some of the key assumptions, key assumptions being technical and separating the technical assumptions from the commercial assumptions, uh, that was very helpful. Awesome. So talk to us a little bit, Ryan, about that technical approach. What were some of the technologies that we brought in to this prototype and we used with Amin's team? Sure. So the first thing we kind of started with was how do we scope down the problem? And we identified that some key problems were, one, how to actually handle the diverse set of ecosystems and different devices that are in the market and how to get those to interoperate. And that was going to be a big challenge to overcome. The second one was really about being able to make the experience simple for the user. We know that customers often, if they're technical, they have to do all this themselves, but Amon's team identified that they wanted to actually target customers that didn't necessarily have a high technical background and still wanted to actually get the benefits out of this, and that allowed us to focus on that. And then there was other elements around being able to demonstrate the high scalability of a solution so that once it would work in one uh, example, it could work in a high volume and that the kind of trust and security of that system was going to be really important. Obviously, working with um, you know customers in their home makes that particularly important, even though we know that that's kind of job zero, as we sometimes say, or job one, um, is to make sure that things are, are secure. And the way that we actually then tried to address that, the individual um, device compatibility issues. We found an open source project called Home Assistant, which provided a certain amount of device compatibility. But most of that was actually delivered uh, in a home server. And so we wanted to be able to create that in the cloud. And then making that process easy for the customer, we had to actually extend the home network to the cloud using a, a virtual private network. And then we also built a user interface on top of that using Lambda and our prototyping framework called Northstar to provide a simplified interface that focused on the key benefits that customers were going to get and reduce the amount of configuration and setup that was required to connect all those devices together. Got you. So, I mean, we often talk in AWS about removing that undifferentiated heavy lifting. So taking the complexity 
away and taking that on ourselves, creating more simple experience for our end customers and taking that complexity into the technical side that we're providing. And it sounds like you did something very similar here with your approach to how you were going to help remove the complexity from your end users and take that on yourselves. Is that how you think about it? What we've found previously is there's a lot of technology out there. There's new technology coming every day, Uh, multiple ecosystems out there. It's getting to a stage where a normal, non-tech person can be overwhelmed with all the technology out there. And, you know, there's going to be always the handful of customers, the 10% who go to JB Hi-Fi, and I'm not sure what the equivalent of that might be in the U.S., who would want to understand technology themselves and build something. But the majority of the customers, all they're really interested is in technology making life easier for them to solve and to maybe be more productive, have more time to spend with their family. So when you take the complexity out of uh, the user and add it into, you've got to shift it, you're shifting it into the product that we're developing. And that's the challenge uh, we set for Ryan. And it wasn't just about taking the technology out, but make using the technology in a useful and meaningful way. Uh, I remember watching an episode of Friends and Rerun of Friends that I've been watching nowadays again. It's, it talks about, you know, a time where devices will be able to understand uh, what you say to them, but not do anything with it. And and the key important point that we had over here was, yes, we want to be able to technology and devices to understand what you're saying, but then do something meaningful out of that as well. Uh, and that complexity is what Ryan and the team had to work with them. If I can just add there as well, that there's a, there's a really key point when we come to thinking about how we might be able to build solutions on behalf of customers. And I mentioned at the start that we kind of dive into solution mode way too quickly um, in most cases, because it's just a human thing to do. But a really good point from Amin there is that technology can solve so much today and tomorrow it will solve even more and it'll evolve in a way that we don't know how it will evolve. So as we think about these ideas and, and you're know, working through the team and into Ryan's team, to be able to come with an idea that was grounded in durable customer needs, um, coming back to Amin's point about the fact that they just want to have more security or, or want to have more insight to where their, their children may be, for example, those will always exist and technology will solve that in different ways. And so I think it was it was brilliant to go from that as Ryan described, big picture down to, well, how do we now test and experiment this in a a technology space? We often talk in this podcast about the failure or struggles that are inherent in experimentation because you're taking this iterative approach. You are thinking big, as you said, and working in areas that maybe, and trying to solve challenges that haven't been done before. So we talk often about That ability to handle failure and to fail fast and be resilient to it. Was that something that you found here? What were some of the challenges that you saw or experienced in this engagement? I think with most of our projects that we usually do uh, as a mature business is we start off with a big idea, but then we're very specific about the investment required. And we're thinking about the final product already. But setting the right expectations, which we were able to do this through this process uh, and have a target of quickly and you know, fail fast, test something very quickly and rapidly and going through the cycles gives us the ability and the comfort that it's okay to fail. It's okay to go through it multiple times. It's not going to create a lot of investment to start off with. Through that process, you learn and you get better. So that rapid process of ideation, um, I remember Richard enforcing us, no, 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 we need to have this this week. We're not going to wait another week for the next workshop. 
And then with Ryan's team, uh, we need to finalize this by this date. We need to be able to come up with a product. Um, that really helped with that process and enforcing us to say, let's quickly test something, let's fail, and let's go back to the drawing board if we need to. Where are we now? So we completed a prototype. You've got so you validated some of those key technical questions that you had about the how, and you've also have this aspirational press release of what you're going to build and who that customer is. Where are you now? So as a prototype process, we're quite happy with some of the technical assumptions that we were trying to solve, and one through that process of prototyping, we're also able to identify some of the key commercial assumptions that we needed to work through as well. So we're currently working through some of those, uh, we're having some of those discussions now, try to work through some of those assumptions, um, and hopefully in the near future, to go through an MVP with a handful of customers. And eventually, if that all works out fine, either we go back to the drawing board, make some changes, do another prototype, uh, if not, then go to a product eventually. Well, Ryan, I mean, Richard, I always ask folks, you know, in, in reflecting back on this journey that you've had from ideation to prototype, what were some of the key learnings that you took away or what would you share with our listeners about the insights that you had in this process? I think for me personally, um, the biggest challenge was to understand that we should not get fixated on the actual technical solution. Uh, and make sure we always revisit the PR that we created, the frequently asked questions that we created, and continue to focus on the customer problem that we're trying to solve. Um, and that can be done through multiple technology solutions. So ensuring the focus or the nucleus is always the customer's problem that you're trying to solve uh, was a key learning for me from this process. Um, and secondly, what Ryan, uh, I guess, touched upon earlier, you need to think big, uh, be comfortable with failure. But when you go to the prototype phase, you've got to be very specific about what are the, some of the key, most important assumptions you're trying to solve in the first phase before you go on and test some of the other assumptions. Uh, those are probably the two key learnings for me. The other thing I'd say that's a key takeaway from, from this specific uh, engagement with, with Amin and the team was the team that Amin pulled together himself. I think it was a great reminder that it's very easy when you think about you know, digital assets or anything to do with technology to just leave it to the technology folk. But by bringing together a, a broad cross-functional team uh, that had different insights in the business, different angles to think about validity for the business idea, but also the network internally in the organization to be able to uh, you know, run off and, and form mini experiments overnight by you know, getting insights or data from different connections in the business. It's invaluable in being able to, to have a, a unit that can actually start to think about creating something, but have complete ownership for that. Fantastic. Yeah, that really resonates, that, that cross-functional team. Um, really important. I mean, is that something that you think you're going to take forward in, in your approach to innovation as you uh, look to other areas to serve your customers? Yeah, having that diversity of thought through that small team and also the ability to then tap into the different parts of the organization from an expertise level is critical. Uh, but then also ensuring that team doesn't grow too large where there becomes uh, a mess, that having it small enough, but equal representation, I think is critical for innovating. How about you, Ryan? What were some of your key learnings from this experience? I think there was actually two that were really important. So as much as my team probably took some of the 
the forward-leading development efforts. It's important to recognize that Amon's team was was integral in that process as well and included a developer in our team. It was really interesting for me to make sure that when the new developer kind of came into our team and worked through with us, that he was actually able to be highly productive and actually develop on top of what we had already done very, very quickly. And I think that helped prove not only that our tools are kind of successful and the approach we were taking was was flexible and agile, but also that Amon's team was going to have more proof points to be confident in their own ability to build on top of this going forward. The other point that is really important to understand that was really interesting for me on this project was that we always want to focus on the interaction point for the customer. And for most projects, that's just focused on the UI um, and the software that powers that user interface. With this project and with such a mature business like TPG, there's a whole lot more that goes into the ultimate experience that the customer is delivered. Whether that's the the software, the hardware, the actual network, all of the operations, as well as the supply chain and the commercial and the uh, marketing, all of that has a huge impact on the ultimate experience and solution that the customer actually delivers. And those pieces end up actually needing to be factored into at the beginning, not just at the end of the project. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Amin, Richard, and Ryan for sharing uh, this journey with us and and sharing your insights and and thoughts about experimentation and innovation. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Sarah, and good luck with the next steps, Amin. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Richard, and thanks, Ryan. Yeah, thanks. I'd like to thank our listeners for coming on today's journey with us. Innovation Ambassadors is a production of the AWS Media Series. Look for future episodes of our vodcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite streaming platform. If you have ideas for future episodes or comments on this one, send us a tweet at hashtag AWS Innovation Ambassadors and share your thoughts. Thank you. Thank you.